Welcome to Sidebars, Kilpatrick Townsend's limited podcast series focused on women and underrepresented groups in patent law. I'm April Abley Isaacson, a patent litigator and office managing partner of the San Francisco office. And I'm Kate Geyer, a patent litigation associate in Seattle. We're here to discuss the gender gap in the patent bar and have candid conversations with female patent practitioners on their career paths. Welcome to Sidebars. Today, we have the honor of being joined by Courtney DeBire. Courtney focuses her practice on patent litigation matters and has litigated in a wide range of technologies, including telecommunication systems, electrical and mechanical systems, pharmaceutical products, textile products, athletic footwear, oil drilling software systems, and medical device technologies, as well as design patents. Courtney has experience in many aspects of litigation, including infringement and validity analyses, motion practice, claim construction, discovery, taking and defending depositions, expert discovery, pretrial proceedings, and trial. In addition, she has prepared several appeal briefs to the federal circuit. Just recently, Courtney was also a member of a team representing a multinational footwear and sports apparel company in a patent infringement litigation and importation investigation at the ITC. The case settled shortly before the evidentiary hearing at the ITC. Courtney is also a registered patent attorney before the USPTO, and she has prepared and prosecuted patent applications in a variety of technologies, as well as represented companies in inter-party review proceedings. Courtney was recognized in 2022 and 2023 as one of the best lawyers wants to watch for intellectual property law by the best lawyers in America. And I will also add that Courtney is one of the best writers that I have ever worked with in my legal career, and she is a phenomenal teacher to associates who work under her. So Courtney, we're excited to have you and thank you for joining us. Ah, Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, Courtney, we wanted to talk to you today about what it means to be an ally to women and what it takes to be a good ally. But we thought it would be important for us to learn a little bit more about you um, other than your firm bio. So could you answer the question for us that we use as our opener of what made you pivot from science to law? Sure. So when I was in high school, I thought that I wanted to be a doctor So when I was applying to colleges, I was looking at pre-med programs primarily, but I always had strong science and math scores and grades. And when I was applying, my parents and college counselor suggested that I apply to engineering schools as kind of a tactic for admissions. And so I was looking through the list of engineering majors and biomedical engineering looked like it would be perfect. It covered all of the pre-med requirements and um, it would still have that engineering focus. So that's what I did. I started out freshman year and had to take the biology intros and hated the dissections. They made me queasy and I just (laughs) could not handle just a frog or a starfish and realized that if I couldn't do that, then medical school probably was not the right way to go. I'm laughing because I actually had to do the cadaver lab in um, graduate school. And yeah, it's a, it's a little different than a frog. Yeah, for sure. yeah. I was like, if I'm struggling this much, it might not be for me. So um, 
So yeah, so I thought med school probably wasn't going to happen, but I was always really interested in medicine and medical devices. My mom was an open heart ICU nurse. And so we learned a lot about it growing up. And I just was always interested in science and the medical field. So I stuck with biomedical engineering. And after my sophomore year, I interned at a biomedical company in Atlanta who that was working on um, heart failure devices that would be implanted in the heart and kind of monitor the blood flow. And while I was working there, it was a great experience, but it's very isolating. You're working in a lab all day or creating computer simulations by yourself. And I didn't really think that I would enjoy doing that long term. I would much rather be around people and collaborating and being more social. And I also realized while I was there, they got FDA approval for their one of their devices. And it just kind of got me thinking about how as an engineer, you could, especially in the medical device field, spend so much time working on the same thing. And at the end of the day or the end of your career, you may not get approval just because there's so many things you have to go through, especially for medical devices, and that it could just be really disheartening if you kind of dedicate your life to something that doesn't end up working out. And I just didn't have that same passion about developing something in that way. So I went back to the drawing board and tried to figure out what I wanted to do. My dad and I were talking about it, and he was a patent attorney and... um I never really considered law school before because I'm pretty shy and soft-spoken and didn't think that the law would really be my thing. I'm not big into arguing. And so I never thought about it. And my dad and I were talking and he was a um, in-house counsel at Procter & Gamble for most of his career. And was kind of explaining how managing the patent portfolio and patent applications and how that process worked and how you get to see inventions after they've been developed and tested. And you get to learn what's coming up in the market and get to be kind of in that stage of development. And that just sounded really fascinating to me because you would kind of get the best of both worlds. You get to learn about all the technology, but not have to be the one testing and failing and trying again and working on one thing. So I worked with him the summer before law school and the company he was working at then was filings and patent applications. And so I got to see kind of the process of drafting claims and responding to rejections from prior art and figuring out how to amend your claims to get around the prior art. And to me, that kind of seemed like a puzzle and a game to figure out how to distinguish your claims. And so I really enjoyed that. And so starting law school, I was pretty gung-ho about being a patent prosecutor and thought that that was the path I was going to take. And Emory has this program, Trial Techniques, which is um, 
not the most fun while you're going through it. It's Friday afternoons, <laughs> your second semester of um, two all year. And you have to go to a law firm for like three hours every Friday. And so everyone else is doing a happy hour, basically. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then to put it on top of that, the week after finals, you have to go back to school for a week and wear business clothes and put on two mock trials. So it was, I mean, it's, it was very useful and it ultimately um, led me to pursuing litigation as well. But yeah, not ideal for a 2L student, but um, yeah. So I... A representative of what it means to be a litigator sometimes because... <laughs> Sometimes it just interrupts your life. Absolutely. <laughs> and sometimes your holidays are not holidays when other people's are. <laughs> I know, exactly. It was foreshadowing for sure. <laughs> but um, no, it was really fun. And I really enjoyed it and got good feedback about the way that I'd performed. And so I thought maybe I'd give litigation a shot. So when I started the firm, I did both. And I've really enjoyed the variety of work in the litigation and um, just kind of the um, excitement that goes along with it. So that's where I am now. Were you surprised? Because I know when I did moot court and when I did trial advocacy, and then it was something that I felt was kind of in my wheelhouse. Were you surprised that given the fact that you described yourself as shy, that you excelled in that? I was very surprised. Um, Yeah, I did not really like public speaking. And so to me, the thought of performing for a jury or a judge just did not seem like something that I would be interested in at all. But when it came down to it, I had a lot of fun um, examining witnesses and making the arguments and opening and closing statements and just thought that um, I was pleasantly surprised by it. As I mentioned earlier, this episode, we wanted to focus on what it means to be an ally to women and how to be a good ally. One of the things I saw recently, a couple of weeks ago on CNN, was Doug Emhoff, who is Kamala Harris's husband, who he's also an attorney who's on a leave right now. He had some great quotes that I pulled. One of them is, men need to support women. Another is, one, it's the right thing to do. And then men, okay, you need to actually do it. Don't just think you're doing it. Another is you have to put your ego aside, though, and it's not about you. I kind of took that away as for men. Don't think about being supportive. Don't talk about being supportive. Be supportive. Want to toss it out to you, Courtney and Kate, to comment on that. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with your thoughts. And it's kind of that old adage that actions speak louder than words. And so if you're really wanting to be supportive, then you need to show show us that support and not just talk about it. I think that it's usually you can kind of see through the firms that are talking about how they're being so supportive and it's the men that are saying that. And you just kind of, it makes you question if it's actually happening. Whereas when you actually see it, that's when you can tell. And I I like the part of the quote where he says, don't just think you're doing it because that's another, that's another level to it. So even if you think you are being supportive, even if you, you think you have been giving junior attorneys or women more experiences, 
if you're not having the the discussions with them or with others, um, asking them, do you think you're getting enough experience? Do you think you're getting enough support? Where could you use more? Um, I think there's a deliberativeness to this too that that isn't always happening. Um, even with the the people I've worked with who are very supportive, um, some of them will have very specific conversations about what do you want to do next? What are you doing now? What have you done? What, what do you need to do to grow in your skills? Um, and other ones don't necessarily have those conversations, but they're still very good at saying, you can take this next argument or that. So I think there's a, there's the, the action speaks louder than words, but I think you need the conversations to the deliberate ones to make sure that the right actions are happening and to, to course correct if, if you're not getting the right support you need as well. Something else I saw was saying that an ally is an individual who helps to create work cultures that attract and retain the highest quality attorneys. It goes to, I think, the points that both of you made, but it's difficult to get people to understand that that really is going to be what's best for the team, for the client, for the firm, et cetera, if you want to comment on that. I think Courtney and I had a had a uh, experience on the same same team together where the uh, lead attorney recognized it was for a, a big hearing that had a lot of moving pieces to it. And he looked at the team he put together and said, well, I'm not good at X portion of it because I'm not level-headed enough for this. So I need someone who's calm, cool, and collected to do this piece of it. And so he asked me to do that. And then he realized he figured that Courtney would be really good at explaining like a very complicated topic to someone without a tech background. So she got a portion of it because he recognized that that's not also his highest skill. Um, so I think part of that, that, creating that culture um, is a, is about just recognizing people's strengths and recognizing what they're good at and then letting them shine in those roles as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think that it's important to recognize the strengths that women have that are different from what men may have or what a more senior partner may have and recognize the contributions that women have to the team and vocalize those. And I think that it's really comforting and supportive when an older partner uses their position and their platform to, to recognize like Kate and me and for our skills and say that this is something that will work well in this context and not that we have to change and be the exact same as every attorney or change our style to make it fit this specific mold that a male would have. So Courtney, you mentioned recognizing the strengths that maybe or differences a woman might bring to the table. Could you talk a little bit about how you perceive those to be or what you perceive those to be? Sure. So I think just in my experience, I I'm not going to be the one who's very exuberant and yelling or waving my hands around kind of like some male attorneys might be, which works for them. But I am much more level-headed, I think, and have a much more calm tone. And in 
the case that Kate was talking about, as well as a case that I was on recently, the senior partner wanted me to do the claim construction hearing because he recognized that the judge, who was a female, probably wouldn't react as well to his tactics and would probably prefer having somebody like me who would be a little bit more um, level-headed and mild-tempered when explaining the technology and the law. And I think that it's just looking at women for their strengths as well as each woman individually. We're not all the same. And so being able to recognize the strengths of each person as an individual and kind of amplify those in a team and encourage that is really important for being an ally. What about you, Kate? Yeah, I I echo what Courtney says, but I also think there are times when um, you might have people on the team with with similar skills, right? The the most senior male attorney and uh, the female attorney on the team might come at a problem the same way. They might have similar presentation styles. Um, And I think one of the things to keep in mind, too, is that part of being an ally might be just stepping aside. It might be not taking every argument. It might be letting the woman who will present it the same way you will um, have her time, too. Uh, So it's it's I think there's there's benefits to admitting or to recognizing individuals, um, women and men as a whole kind of have different strengths and then individuals also have different strengths. But sometimes even if you have the same strength, there's still um, benefits to giving a woman or giving someone else on the team the opportunity to to grow. It goes to the one of the quotes I had that's basically putting your ego to the side or doing an ego check on yourself. I mean, right, because it's you have to deliberately do that because you know, there's not really a a financial incentive to give someone else the next argument or anything like that. So it becomes this really kind of, you know, structural issue that's kind of baked into it if being, you know, the big dog, so to speak. Uh, What have you, have you seen situations where you could tell that the ego was being put to the side to give you an opportunity? There's definitely, um, I mean, I think part of putting the ego aside is what we were talking about earlier is realizing your approach is not best for everything, right? I think it's being able to take a more nuanced view of who is the, who's the audience, who are they reacting to? If there's been prior hearings where, where you've argued um, and the reaction has been not positive, is it time to get fresh blood? Um, I think it's, it's, I think part of putting the ego aside is being able to objectively look at a situation and just recognize that that you might not be the solution for that situation. And I think I've seen that happen a lot. Um, Where I was struggling with it is is when I was thinking of a situation where um, it was a senior attorney who... Uh, might make a com or might be standing aside for a junior attorney that kind of makes a side comment of of I've done this so many times I don't need to do it again and in some ways those comments I don't know if they necessarily undervalue the experience for the junior attorney but they're it feels like they're stepping aside because they're just saying, I've done this so much. I'm good enough at it. I don't need to do it again. Instead of putting a different spin on it and just saying, 
I think you are ready for this. I think you can do this. I think you are a great fit for it. So, so where I was kind of struggling with the ego comment was sometimes the communication isn't quite there, even if the opportunity is given. Um, sometimes the the statements around it are not necessarily the supportive statements of of giving someone else the spotlight and letting them show their talent. Sometimes it's more of a I've done this so much, I can give this up at this point. And it, that feels like that is part of the ego and it's not necessarily setting it aside. Well, and to that point, actually, we had meetings over the weekend and one of the meetings I was in was a leadership training where it asked you to draw the letter E on your forehead. And then it said, did you draw it that it faced you or that it faced out to the other people? And apparently, if you drew it where it faced out to the other people, then you were more empathetic naturally and thinking about others. And if you drew it facing yourself, then you were more self-focused. So from what you're saying, Kate, I mean, it's more that whomever would have said that they're self-focused because they had to stroke their own ego that I'm so awesome. I've done this so many times so I can step aside as, as opposed to being focused on you and what you're trying to get out of it. Yeah. And it's, it was absolutely not meant maliciously. Um, I mean, I, I think people make those comments a lot, but I think, I think they're kind of coming back to that, to what I was saying earlier about being deliberate about giving people opportunities and being deliberate about stepping out of the way. I think some of that deliberateness includes also how you communicate that to other people. What about you, Courtney? Yeah, definitely. I think that it's a lot more than just giving us the opportunity. I, it means so much if the partner giving you that opportunity tells you that they're giving it to you because they know you can do it and they believe in you and encourage you and work with you to prepare and even just like championing you to the client as well. Like when I got to argue at the Markman hearing, um, it was, a big case. And the partner came in and told me that I had written most of the brief and that I knew the material and he wanted me to do the argument and thought I could do it. And he would have to clear it with the client, but that he fully supported me and um, believed in me. And that just meant so much just hearing that even if I wasn't ultimately able to do the argument because of the client. Um, I think that I felt very supported in that moment and valued. And I think that there's also something to be said for the senior partner going to the client and advocating for you and telling the client that you have the skills and are ready. To that point, I've actually even had situations where, you know, I've been an attorney for over 25 years and it'll be someone I think that's well-intentioned asking about a, a hearing, well, should I do it? Do you want to, you know, what, what are you thinking? And then they immediately say, well, I think the client would expect me to do it because I'm, I'm more senior than you are, which isn't even thinking about whether or not the client expects that or not. They just make an assumption because they're the gray haired, you know, white guy. Um, <laughs> so I even run into it on my level, which is, I have to say, pretty frustrating because to your point, Courtney, you have to put it in a way that the client gets the buy-in. And we know that so many clients nowadays are expecting diversity, equity, and inclusion in their teams. And 
one of the things when we interviewed the two professors at the beginning of the season was talking about that the Solicitor General's office at the USPTO, whoever writes the brief, argues, which is why they have like 50% of the people arguing at the Federal Circuit are female, because it lines up. It's, it's, it's pretty no-nonsense. Pivoting a little bit, um, one of the other things that I find somewhat frustrating is that somehow we're supposed to educate everybody about what it's like to be a female attorney and how an experience of a male attorney who might be you know, exactly the same credentials is going to be very different than it would be for us. Could either of you kind of kick off talking about your experience in that regard? I think Kate kind of touched on it earlier, but just about how important it is for attorneys to listen to each individual and ask what you need. I think that um, just by listening, you can learn so much and we don't need to go out of our way to educate the male partners or the male attorneys about just what it is like to be a woman if they just listened to us and asked us how our experience was with something or what support we need, then that should be sufficient. And just asking us what, what they can do to be supportive and how they can support us, that should be enough. I think there's also just more, um, in addition to those conversations, which I, I think those are probably one of the most important things they could do. Um, just being more aware um, and sometimes putting a, a funny name to something like Mannels has has helped the industries and people planning conferences become more aware of what does this look like if everyone on the panel is a man. And now that it's kind of got a funny name or mansplaining or something like that, once once you can kind of name an activity um, or name a behavior that that is not necessarily bad in and of itself for Mannels, for example, right, like there might just be these were the people available and the women we asked weren't available, but having just being able to say, Hey, this doesn't look right from just a pure optics perspective. It's like, did we really, did we forget to consider something? Did we talk to the right people? Did we really make sure that um, we have a diverse set of people that we're putting forward? Um, and the answer can sometimes be yes, but I think there's been some times where if you look at, uh, a group who is going to visit a client. Um, if we're pulling across from various areas of the firm and you kind of look around and you're like, uh, there's no women here. Did we ask anyone? Is there someone we should have considered? Um, so I think it's some of that is just being more, and I keep saying deliberate, but also just doing doing the work yourself, right? Like don't don't make a woman raise her hand and say, why did only men get to go to this event when I've also been involved with X client or something like that? Um, be the one to to raise those issues and be the one to stand up. Because uh, I think that's important too, is that it, it can't always be our fight. It can't always be us bringing it up and asking those questions. So I, I think I think the doing your own homework part and in, in learning these things, but also learning what to look for and then looking for them. Uh, is important too. And if we always have to bring it up, then the problem is, is that it makes it sound like we're complaining. And then all of a sudden, it's something that reflects negatively on us. You know, there was another, another thing that I was thinking about when I was kind of preparing for this episode is, 
being the only in the room, which I have to say has happened to me so many times where all of a sudden you're in a meeting and then you realize it's like 15 other people in there and they're all male. Uh, it's, I wonder sometimes some of the men, even if they're not doing it intentionally, when they feel like they're an outsider, right? Because if you're the only woman in the room, then you're an outsider and you're trying to sort of fit in, which you don't really want to have to fit in. But I've found that maybe when I'm reflecting on some of the men that I find the easiest to work with that are the most kind of just treating everybody equally, maybe they've felt like outsiders in some way in their life. I I wonder if you have any thoughts on that, either of you. I know I I personally have seen that. Um, I think especially uh, being a woman in in physics, I had a lot of experience with being the only woman in the room. I think one of my internships uh, that I did while I was in college, the only other women who worked in a five-story building uh, were all assistants. There was, I think, maybe one other uh, female scientist who worked in that building, but she was on vacation or something. So for an entire month, it was just me as the youngest person intern there. Um, so I, I think in some of in some ways, I've been desensitized to that now that it happens in the law, just because it's kind of been the experience since being in technology. But I have noticed that especially men who have found themselves being the outsiders, and not even about gender, but whether it be uh, race or socioeconomic background, or even just uh, being from going to college and maybe like a local college town, but you're the out of towner. So even geographically being being an outsider, people who have experienced that, I think are more sensitive to it. And they understand how not great it feels and how hard it can be being the one person. So they are better about reaching out. They are better about being more deliberate about including them. And they're more empathetic to, to that situation. Um, I don't know how, how to teach people who haven't been outsiders, what that feels like. Um, except again, maybe just, just listen, listen and and hear that if you re- recognize that some person stands out in the room that person recognizes it too. They they know that they are standing out and they probably feel a little uncomfortable about it. Um, so it's okay to to be a little more deliberate about reaching out to them or trying making them feel more included. Yeah, I think being aware of it and looking for it is really important. Um, I was recently invited to a golf outing and was one of the only women there. And I'm not good at golf, but it was nice to be included. And um, the male attorneys there made me feel really comfortable about being there, which was really important to me because I'm not a golfer. I'm not a male. I don't, I mean, I golf every now and then and I can hit the ball, but it was one thing to be included and invited, which was really nice, but then also to be comfortable when you're there, because I feel like we can be invited to be on a team or to a meeting or be on a panel to be the woman there. And when we get there, we are the only one and it's uncomfortable and nobody is reaching out to make us feel included. And so I think that that is something that's very important too, is not just doing the inviting, but also working to make it more comfortable and more accepted that 
it's not you're you shouldn't stick out if you're the only one. And with the example you gave, there was almost two ways it seemed like you stuck out. It was not just being a woman, but it was because they picked an activity that the woman was not good at. <laughs> and so it it it's also a it's not just recognizing that that you might stick out for uh, a superficial reason, but there are other ways of sticking out which can compound it and make it more uncomfortable. Um, and that's why even being invited to the table so late in the planning process is part of the problem, but that if you you get people involved, and I think we've talked about this in other episodes, but getting women and diverse people involved earlier in the planning process can ensure that in, in your example, Courtney, that, that an activity is chosen that everyone is comfortable with or that everyone can participate in uh, and that everyone likes. And so it's not just um, it's not it doesn't create another opportunity to to stand out. Well, one of the other things that maybe you touched on a little bit, Kate, is that concept of and I'm not going to attribute this quote to anybody in particular, but it's you know the concept of being born on third base, and then you think you hit a triple, right? So it's like, I think people need to recognize that they have advantages, opportunities, resources, and power that they implicitly have that other people don't have. And maybe it goes back a little bit to empathy and listening, but I don't know if you have any specific comments on that, because I think it's it's very hard to try to describe that to someone without sounding like you're complaining. Or undermining them, right? Because just because you were born on third base, that's not a problem. Like you didn't do anything wrong. And it's it's not in any way to try and undermine what how hard you have worked or where you got to in life on your own merits. It's really just about recognizing that you just started a little further ahead. And for some people, they just started at first base or second base. Um, and or like they're they were rounding second or, or on their way to third, right? Like people just start um, based on like, I'm a white woman. I probably started much cr- closer to third base than I did first base um, and so on and so on. So I, I think it's, it's, it's just recognizing that I think people, there's a, a mental block for a lot of people that recognizing that power somehow means that they're recognizing that they didn't earn what they have. And that's not true. So I I hope everyone can kind of just let go of that sentiment, but then be empathetic because there might be someone who is just as skilled as you and got to where you are, but some of them probably had to work a lot harder than you did. And again, it doesn't undermine your success, but having that empathy and, and recognizing that they did have to work harder and they had to overcome more barriers is important. And it's also important for for junior attorneys or people who are still working their way up to recognize that there are some people who have more barriers and will have to work harder. And how do you help them? How do you help them overcome those barriers? How do you help them get those experiences? How do you help make them have to how do you reduce how hard they have to work um, so that they're uh, whether it be gender, race or other things holding them back? or that started them further back doesn't affect their long-term career. Yeah. And I think that if someone is aware of their level or how that they are slightly ahead, they can also use that to help those that are more junior or haven't had the same experiences and can encourage those people to speak up or give them support and can give them recognize them and their contributions and 
give somebody credit for an idea or their skills that maybe wouldn't be recognized otherwise because they're in a minority. Do you think that, because I know every generation it's different and obviously women coming into the workplace is boomers as opposed to Gen X where I am and you two are millennials. Do you feel like the men of your generation are a little bit better because now there's parental leave and things like that that weren't available before. So they might have a little bit more empathy in terms of understanding that having children and how it affects your career, for example. I know I can personally say that the uh, the military might have parental leave, but it is still very, very disparate in how much parental leave uh, my husband would get compared to uh, a female in his same position. So I, I, at least in my personal situation, I don't think that's necessarily wrecking. Like my husband obviously recognizes it, but it's harder to, it's harder for him to get it when he won't, he doesn't even have the ability to take off three months or two months. I forget how much, how much leave we can get. But I do think, um, I do think it's helping. I think men taking it more will help. I do think that they still have different flexibility and how they take it and how it can affect their careers because most maternal leave um, is physical, whereas whereas men are more just there as as support, right? Like they're not healing their body or anything. So I think there's still I think I still see men using that flexibility in a way that doesn't hold them back in the same way that a, a full three months off may may hold back a woman. Um, but the fact that people are taking it more and the fact that it's just become expected and accepted is, is leaps and bound forward. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I think it's still hard because women, it's, you don't have a choice. And when you take the time off, it's when you have the baby and you need that time to recover and to kind of get situated with a new baby and a lot of the men can take a week here and then a week there. And so it doesn't necessarily impact your caseload or your work schedule. You can, you can still maneuver it so that it doesn't impact it, which is a lot harder for women. Yeah, it's a good point because if, for example, your due date is right before a trial that you've been working on for three years, the case and then it happens, then obviously you're just not in a position to participate, whereas perhaps a man could work his parental leave around it so he can still have the opportunity because he's not in the same position as a woman. One of the other things I know that um, we've talked about a little bit is how important it is to have uh, a man who's an ally to be a confidant for you to be able to speak to about things in your career. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I think I've been very lucky at the firm to have a lot of male associates and partners that I can talk to about my goals and what kind of work I'm getting, what work I want to get. And that will come in and check in with me and make sure that I am getting the type of work that I want. And if I'm not, help me figure out where I can get those opportunities or help seek those out for me. And it's kind of goes back to what we were saying earlier, just about being heard and listened to. It's it's really important to have those people that are higher up and have more experience as well as just more knowledge about the opportunities and how you can get those and are willing to work with you to 
make sure that you succeed and get those opportunities and can further your career. I felt very supported here and that they actually, all the more senior partners and um, more senior associates really want us to succeed and have everything we want out of this career. So it's been um, just very encouraging. And I think it goes both ways. It's, it's them listening to us, learning about uh, unique things that women and other minorities go through, and then having the power to, um, at the company to, to fix things or change things. But I think they also help the other way too, is to help translate the old boys club network. They can help say these are expectations or these are are things that are happening and I'm looped in. I don't know why you're not looped in. Or um, I, I think they can just help bridge that divide too. Um, I, I've had uh, mentors who ha- have just been involved in big law for much longer, whereas I'm the first attorney in my family. And just even things like that of just people who just know the industry and know things for so long can just give me information that I just can't find by myself. So I think it's... I think it's both they can listen and advocate, but they can also help uh, communicate back to us as well and help us figure out how to find our place at the table. I know we were talking a little bit before about providing opportunities and being conscious about kind of work assignments and, and catering to people's strengths and being thoughtful about diversity, equity, and inclusion. One of the things that I kind of have an analogy is thinking about a lot of times it seems like the women are the showrunners, right? Like like you'd have in, in Hollywood. So they're the showrunners or they can be the best supporting actress, but then there's not that opportunity to be the best actress. And you can have a best actress and a best actor at the same time, which it's just, I hope that people realize that Two people can shine and be their very best selves at the same time. Just love to get your thoughts on that. I think more than two people can shine. You can have the whole the whole team shine in its own way. And again, I'm kind of going back to a case Courtney and I were on together, um, but everyone had a role in, in a, it was a big hearing. Everyone had a role and everyone got their opportunity to shine. Um, and that's more than, than just the attorneys too, even the paralegal on the team. I, I think it was a new opportunity for him as well. Um, and everyone just kind of assumed he could do it because he was so good. And when he told us it was his first time, it was like, oh, well, didn't know that. You did great. Um, so I, I I think, yeah, there's there's being a good lawyer is not a zero sum game. Um, it's not what one person gets to do is automatically a hit against you. Um, there are opportunities for everyone. Everyone can shine. And quite frankly, when you when you let everyone shine on a team like that, you win. Like you let everyone do their best work. And when you put your best work out there, it's it's you're going to have more likelihood of winning. You don't always win. Yeah. Best sometimes ensemble wind, cast. Sometimes the wind <laughs> gets taken away from you. Yes. Very unfairly. Yeah. <laughs> you're not bitter or talking about anything realistic. No, no. Not at all. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. To your point, Kate, it's you can be the best ensemble cast, right? You know, it's like you can have a best actor, best actress, that sort of thing. What about you, Courtney? Other than some, you know, some situation where a win was taken away. Sure. <laughs> no, I mean, just even in that case, it was 
the contrast between our presentation where we had everybody from our team presenting and using their strength to make that section the best it could be compared to the other side who had the one senior partner presenting the entire thing. And it just, it wasn't effective. You listen to the same style and it just gets kind of monotonous and it, it really just doesn't play as well. I think that it's really effective to have different voices being used and different skills being put forward for different aspects of a case and an argument. Well, and to the point that Kate made about winning, it's funny. I was talking over the weekend about someone I really like working with, who's one of my favorite people I've ever worked with in my career. And I was trying to figure out what did it, what is it about him in particular? Is it a, an ego thing or whatever it is? <laughs> he said, no, I just like to win. And because I like to win, I'm going to put together the best team so that I can win. And looking at the strengths of everybody. And I was like, wow, I'm I'm trying to forensically analyze it. But really what it comes down to is just wanting to win and have the best team with the best skills. I think that's, I mean, really encouraging to me if I was on that team. I mean, it makes you feel good that that's what they're looking for. It's not they're trying to make a diverse team or they're trying to check all these boxes that they're looking for the best people and you're considered one of them. I think that that's something that as a woman, I'm always looking for too, is just to be looked at on the same playing field and be considered for my skills and valued. And I think that's an important point too, about being an ally is that yes, diversity is important, but it's important because diverse people have different skills and it it's you're not checking the box. You are picking them because they have the best skills for either the case or the hearing or whatever it is that you're doing. Um, because I think sometimes everyone talks about diversity as just let's look at a page and or let's look at who's in the room and just see what it looks like. But it's more than that. It's it's I think as Courtney was talking about at that hearing it was about getting different voices, presenting things in different ways, keeping things dynamic and letting everyone shine. And that's what diversity really gets you. That, that's how it's used right. Well, and to that point, you know, being a good ally is not about making yourself look better, right? Or feel better. I mean, you're supposed to be doing it because it's the right thing to do. But I, I do like the winning idea. And Courtney, I'd love to get your thoughts on it because I, n- I never really thought about it that way. And of course, I like to win. We're competitive. We're litigators. That's our goal is to, is to win. And that's how I think about it. But I was like putting all these things into someone else's head of what their motivation was behind it without realizing it was pretty simple, actually. Yeah, I mean, I like it. <laughs> I, I want to win. And I think that that's one way that somebody could kind of take a step back from everything and really assess the strengths of and skills of each individual and how one individual, maybe a female would have one perspective and somebody else would have a completely different perspective and how putting those together would 
challenge the team and present different viewpoints and you could come up with new strategies and new ideas and really challenge each other to um, just to find different arguments and different um, strategies that you probably wouldn't have thought of if it was all the same mentality on a team. Well, I think sometimes some people think that they're doing something deliberately, like we have a female judge, I better have a woman make part of the argument or the client's female, I better have this. But then they're really only doing it to check the box sometimes as opposed to doing it because it's going to be the best for the team. It's going to give people opportunities. Kate, curious your thoughts on that. Yeah. I mean, I, there's no reason. I mean, diversity to check the box is not diversity. That is it's, it's undermining the entire purpose of, of diversity and and recognizing people as individuals for their strengths. And I, I think it's important. Um, one of the things earlier you said, April, is that, um, there was just an assumption of what the client wanted, right? The client just assumed that the client just wanted the most senior person on the team to do this because that's what's always been done. And I, I think it's pulling in what really repeating what Courtney said that you got to evaluate the strengths on the team, figure out who's best to do what, but then have the courage to go out there to the client and say, you know what, your expectations may be X. I am telling you that like my recommendation is that we do Y because this person will do it better. And I think it'll really work out. So I think it's, I think you got to be willing to kind of risk some of that capital and go to bat for your people to the client. Um, and honestly, that's what probably builds future client relationships too, and starts building trust. Because if, if a client, if a senior partner is talking to a client and there's a good relationship there and the senior partner says, this person's really good, well, then the client's going to be like, okay, that person's probably really good. And then you're going to, you're going to also give diverse people and the younger generations, um, now have access to that client and now have goodwill with that client so that they've built up. And that's good for the firm long-term as well too. So I, I think it's, you got to think through each step of, of this diversity thing and kind of get to, at the end of the day, it's good for the bottom line. <laughs> it's good for the firm to build those relationships, to diversify who has those client relationships. And it's not just a box checking exercise. Well, and the and the thing to your point, Kate, is that you have to have the courage and agree to really risk the, your political and social capital. And the other thing is, maybe it's not obvious, but it is to us. If I'm being checked as a box, I know that I'm being checked as a box and it actually hurts and it goes really, really deep. Uh, Courtney, I don't know if, you know, I'm not saying necessarily here, but just in your life, if you've had that experience and can kind of explain to our listeners what that feels like. Yeah, I haven't at the firm, but I mean, it's very apparent when you're asked to show up at something and then you're pretty much ignored. You're not asked for your opinions. You're not encouraged to speak up. You're just there to be the female and to show that whoever asked you there is diverse and um, it's, yeah, it kind of just makes you feel like there's nothing special about you other than you being a woman. Like they didn't, they don't value you for anything other than the fact that you're a female and just want you to show up and look pretty and 
show that they work with women. Um, I almost even appreciate like when men part male partners are candid about why they want to use a woman for something. Like if there is a female judge and they think that their style will be more effective for the female judge. I think that sharing that sometimes is helpful to others too, to recognize that certain skills and certain attributes would be better for in certain situations and just making it more common that we should be diversifying who is presenting when in different situations and different circumstances. Well, yeah, you don't want to feel like you're a show pony, right? but at the same time, there are going to be situations, you know, I've had where someone wants me to do a cross-examination because the guy's really a jerk and he's super aggressive. And then the dynamic between me with my style will be different than maybe the guy that's waving his arms around like you were talking about earlier, Courtney. I don't know, Kate, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, psychology plays into it. And I I think as long as there's a reason, right, as long as there's a reason for uh, the diversity, and it's not just based on, we need to check a box, whether it's because someone's going to react to someone better, or um, whether you can get some competing personalities going at each other and end up looking better in front of a judge or a jury, or because you just you have a physics degree and maybe the case is just like hyper technical and Fourier transformations or something like that. Um, I, I think the more those are talked about too, um, if if gender is ever like a very specific consideration. I think that helps because you're right. It's we're not show ponies. We're lawyers. We have law degrees. We went to great colleges. We're good at our jobs and we know that. And so anytime that there's just a check the box exercise or let's just throw them on the pitch because we think we're going to get or because we need diversity on the pitch, even if we're not going to use them for that case. I mean, every time that does it, it, it does feel like it undermines everything we've already earned. Well, and getting to be our authentic selves, it's like you said, not just not we're not a show pony, but then at the same time, feeling like you can be your authentic self. And there was one thing I read where someone said that a guy walking into a meeting told the person to have swagger. And they're like, well, I don't have swagger. That's like not who I am. Right. So maybe we can um, end with a little bit of positivity, not that we haven't had it along the way. But Courtney, I know you've had a lot of really great experiences with allies at the firm in terms of your career. And so have you, Kate, maybe just have a few of the highlights of that. And then we can end with our closer for Courtney. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think just, I've been given so many great opportunities recently, as I've progressed. And I know starting out, I was worried about my style and being more reserved and that I wouldn't have this kind of assertive, argumentative persona when I entered a courtroom. But as I've gotten these experiences, I've just been supported in that they want me to use the style that I have and they don't want me to change and that my style can just be just as effective and that I should also be given those opportunities and to do it my way. I think that it's it's refreshing. And I just have really appreciated having allies that will 
help you succeed and want you to succeed. You can tell when they really want you to succeed and want to help you, which means a lot. I echo everything Courtney just said. Uh, I think I have a little bit more of a traditional combative uh, love to argue with people, uh, lawyer mentality. Um, but even then, no one's no one's asked me to tone it down. I mean, every once in a while, they'll take out some statement I make because it's just a little too far out there. And it's not something you'd ever want to go in front of a judge. But um, people recognize that I I am aggressive and uh, they'll let me take the stretch positions. They'll say, yeah, if you can back it up and you can uh, argue it, like, let's go for it. Let's try it. So I, I think the best allies that I've had, male and female, just are the ones who recognize this is what you're good at. This is where you shine. And uh, you need to do these other things. So let's work on on how you can do those other things with your style. Um, particularly for me, I, I struggle with uh, small talk and, and kind of making client relationships. But partners have recognized that if they can just put me on the call and just let me lead something and show talk about something that I'm passionate about, but knowledgeable about that's, that's how they've helped me say, this is ways you can ingrain yourself with clients. And I've made some great client relationships that way. Um, instead of just let's go golfing, or let's go to a networking event and just sit around talking, because that's what I'm not very good at at all. So I think I really appreciate it at this firm, the people who like you said, just let you be your authentic self and and help you build a practice around that authentic self because there's no one right or wrong way to lawyer. And um, there have been a lot of great male mentors at this firm who've done that for me. Courtney, what advice would you give to anybody who finds themselves to be a first or an only in the room? I think just to be comfortable with yourself and know your worth and don't feel like you need to change your personality to match the group in the room. You're fine being the only and the first and that you just need to find people that will encourage that part of you and encourage you to grow while keeping your authentic self. I think that's great advice. And I really appreciate you coming here to have this conversation with Kate and me about what it means to be a good ally. So thank you. Thank you guys. Thank you for joining us today. Please subscribe to Sidebars on Buzzsprout, Apple Podcast, Amazon Music, or your preferred podcasting platform. And don't forget to rate or leave a review. If you enjoyed Sidebars, we invite you to check out Kilpatrick Townsend's Medicine and Molecules blog at kilpatricktownsend.com to read, watch, and listen to other related insight on patent law. We'll also put that information in our show notes. The opinions expressed on this podcast are our own and are not necessarily those of Kilpatrick Townsend.